this week, if you are a basketball fan, you know that the final fours for both the women's NCAA tournament and the men's NCAA tournament have been uh, played over the last few days. Um, moving towards championships, I believe the women's is tonight and then the men's uh, tomorrow. I bring up the final four because we're moving into the final four sayings of Jesus from the cross. There are seven statements that Jesus makes from the cross. And each statement, while they probably occurred within just a few hours, and some of them, like the final four, probably occurred in somewhat rapid succession as we read the gospel accounts, uh, each of them individually invites us to consider um, the beauty, the majesty, uh, the mystery of who Jesus is. Uh, It's an invitation to consider some of the essentials of God's kingdom and what makes God's kingdom and God's reign so spectacular. So we're moving into these final four. We'll look at the first of the final four today and then next week look at another one. And then on Good Friday in our readings that are part of our Good Friday experience, we'll examine the final two. We have a Good Friday worship experience at seven o'clock on on Good Friday. I just wanna jump right in. Um, Matthew and Mark they record these words of Jesus um, that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Mark's account of them in Mark chapter 15. The, the words that we'll see from Jesus here are words that are probably familiar to you. Uh, they're probably words that you have heard or maybe heard at least in some form before. The words are extremely significant, and their meaning is something that we will continue to mine the rest of our lives as we consider them. And so even as we extract something from them today, uh, as you ponder them, uh, you'll get more and more and, and more. Mark chapter 15, here is the account of these words of Jesus. It says, verse 33, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and here's the Aramaic, what Jesus would have exclaimed, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Throughout church history, this has been called the great cry of dereliction, uh, which is a really big word. I had to look it up to figure out what it meant. Um, It means abandonment. It's Jesus' cry of abandonment. It's Jesus in this moment expressing his anguish, expressing how he feels that he is now isolated. He's now alone, that God is no longer with him. These are his feelings. This is what he's sharing in this moment. And the reason why he shares them is profound. As, as we move through this passage today, you're going to experience uh, the seen and the unseen. There are things that we can visually see, and there are things that are happening that are unseen. And so what, what do we see here? Beginning in verse 33, it was noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. You'll notice as you read the account of Jesus on the cross, especially as he dies, that there are some supernatural events that occur. The land goes dark. The the curtain in the temple is torn in two. There is an earthquake. There are these supernatural things that point to other things that are occurring that we can't see. But what we can see is that the world goes completely dark. 
Imagine how unnerving that experience would be for you. Everywhere in the world at noon, it is bright. Even on a cloudy day, there is light. And here at noon, the sun ceases to shine. And so at noon, when when people are used to going about their daily routines, here they are rushing to find lamps and lanterns and and people outside the city are rushing to find torches. Suddenly things are dark and it's significant. Uh, There have been people that have sought to explain the darkness that we see here in Mark chapter 15. Some, Some have said that maybe it was just a solar eclipse. Here's the problem with that, is that a solar eclipse only occurs, uh, does, cannot occur during a full moon. And we know that the Jewish festivals and the Jewish feasts all correspond with full moons. And so it couldn't be a solar eclipse. So some have said, well, maybe it was this violent sandstorm that blew up and then, and then blew through Jerusalem. A couple problems with that is, one, that that's extremely uncommon. Two, is that even in the most uh, crazy of sandstorms that we have in our world today, people can still see the light of the sun. And so the only explanation for what occurs in this moment is that God is doing something supernatural. Darkness in Scripture is often a sign of God's judgment. Think about the plagues over Egypt. Darkness covers the land. The prophet Amos shares towards the end of his book of prophecy, I think it's Amos 8, verse 9, I could be mistaken. He talks about a darkness coming over the land. Again, darkness is a sign of divine judgment. And so while we see darkness, while Jesus is anguishing upon the cross, what is that unseen reality? Why the darkness? Well, the darkness comes because in this moment, in these hours, God is placing upon Jesus the judgment for our sin. The the light of the world, Jesus, is now covered with the weight of the darkness of all of the sin of humanity, past, present, future. God is light, in him there is no darkness. And so in this moment, the one who is perfect, the one who is spotless, the one who has no darkness in him, who was tempted in every way we were, but was without sin, now bears the weight of sin. And with that comes the absence of light. It's the judgment of God upon sin, the wrongdoing of humankind. And that's what leads to this cry from Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you in this instance, why do I feel isolated and alone and abandoned? Because the light of God's presence temporarily is is gone from Jesus. And we begin to appreciate how much anguish this must have caused him when we think about the things Jesus said about the Father. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. It talks about how all things were made through him, and nothing that has been made has been made without him. Like like Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus will pray with his disciples, and he'll say that I and the Father are one. Make them one as we are one. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. 
Did you see the expression of the intimacy? God and Christ sharing the, the, the divine identity. And in this moment now, what Jesus has known his whole life, that God is with me and I am in him and he is with me and, and where I go, he goes. Now suddenly that's separated from him. Why? Because of the weight of the sin of humanity. So the light of God is absent and the darkness descends. It's in this moment that we see what transpires that, that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. It's in these moments when the darkness comes that Jesus, the perfect son of God, is taking upon himself the divine judgment that should be ours to receive. That is significant. Sean read from Isaiah, Isaiah 53. I want to read from it again. It expresses this picture so vividly. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. That's a word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Another word for sin. The punishment that brought us peace, the, the punishment that made us whole was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So the darkness in this moment is what's seen is that the world goes dark. The lights go out and lanterns and lamps are, are, are lit in the middle of the day. But what's unseen is that in this moment, in these moments, God is judging the sin of the world, including ours. Now, you may recall uh, that the words that Jesus speaks from the cross here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are, are actually borrowed from Psalm 22. Back on February 20th, uh, Tom Sears was preaching on God's heart for worship, and he was giving us a window into God's heart by looking at, at David and how, how David worshiped God. And these words in Psalm 22 actually come from David. It says they're to the tune of the doe of the morning. I have no idea how that song sounded. But they begin, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tom shared, and it's important for us to know that often uh, for the Jewish people, when they hear the first words of a passage of scripture, what is brought to mind are the words of the entire passage. And that's significant here because while Psalm 22 begins with these words of anguish, in fact, the rest of verse one, it says this, after my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David goes on to write, why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? Verse two, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. It's likely that Jesus has in mind the entirety of this psalm. It begins with anguish, these feelings that David would have felt of abandonment. And now we see that these are the words of Jesus on the cross. And what's so interesting is you read through Psalm 22, you find David writing about things that he would not have known. You can see God's hand in this, God's spirit writing this psalm because so much of it speaks to the experience of Jesus on the cross. But what's really interesting is that the psalm doesn't end where it begins. The psalm begins with anguish. The psalm begins with feelings of abandonment. The psalm begins with these questions for God, but, but it quickly, as you move through the psalm, moves to statements about God's character, 
about who he is. He's enthroned. He is great. He is mighty. It moves to, to, to expressions of his greatness in the past, and it ends with expressions looking to the future and God's deliverance. And so all of Psalm 22 kind of paints this journey from anguish to hope. And so even on the cross as Jesus dies, even as he bears the weight of the sin of humanity, even as he anguishes in isolation, we see in the shadows the light of hope. So what's significant about this for us? The first thing that you and I need to see is that what Jesus was enduring on the cross, the darkness, the despair, the anguish, that that was both because of us and for us. That when Jesus died, when, when God makes him to be sin who knew no sin for us, he's doing it for us. We know that part of the common experience of humanity is that we will all sin. We will all break God's commands. We will all ignore his purposes in some way. And it will bring pain to us and pain to other people. Sin is dark, and, and, and most of us are aware of some of our own darkness, aren't we? If you've lived uh, more than just a handful of years, you're aware of the things that you have done, uh, the things you have fought, uh, the things that perhaps others don't know about, and you know the weight of that darkness. And that's part of what led this moment to be so dark for Jesus was your sin and my sin. You read history books. You watch the news unfold. You know that there is still darkness in our world. And it's in this moment that, that Jesus is taking that upon himself. The perfect, holy, spotless son of God in this moment is stained and destroyed by our sin. Why? We know that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. Romans chapter six, verse 23 tells us that. The just reward, a perfect, holy God, there's no other thing to, to do with sin but to punish, it and to punish it and to destroy it. And yet God chooses to place that on Jesus. And so Jesus dies. And he carries with him the weight of our sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans chapter three. But we're justified freely, verse 24, by his grace, the redemption that comes through Christ Jesus. So in this moment, what we see is Jesus taking upon himself not, not just the sins of someone like Adolf Hitler, not just the sins of someone like Pontius Pilate, not just the sins of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, not just the sins of a Vladimir Putin, not just the sins of uh, some other, other egregious uh, dark sinner that we know, but he takes upon himself the sins of Craig Howie. And he takes upon himself your sin. So that if we were to believe in him and have faith in who he is and what he's done, that we now get to experience the life that is ours as Jesus dies for that sin and rises from the tomb. And so it's as we believe and as we have faith in who Jesus is and what he's done, it's as we confess him as our Lord, as we turn from living these sinful lives that led to this death to pursuing him and following him, his spirit giving us life, that we once again experience light 
and no longer darkness. What have you done with what Jesus has done for you? Well, what have you done? If he experienced this darkness for you, have you responded to that? Have you been drawn back from the darkness into the light? Are you pursuing the things of the light? All of us have sinned. Every time we break a command, every time we use our bodies or our minds or our mouths, uh, our hands and our feet for things that go against what God intends, we sin. And if we want to live forevermore and if we want to experience his light, we have to come to him confessing and repenting, believing and following him in faith. When Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experiences that moment, this temporary isolation and abandonment from God and he does that for us. If we'll respond to that, he'll bring us light and hope. And here's the promise, is as we respond to him in faith, is that we never have to experience full isolation and abandonment from God. The words of places like Hebrews 13, verse five become familiar, that he will never leave us or forsake us. That's a recurring theme throughout scripture. Sean shared it from Deuteronomy earlier, that God never leaves us or forsakes us. As we seek him, we don't have to experience that full weight of abandonment because of what he has done. So again, the first thing I want you to see is that what Jesus is doing is for you. We need to ask the question, what have we done with what Jesus has done for us? But the second thing I hope that you'll see is that by Jesus experiencing this anguish and this isolation and this abandonment, it means that those who believe in him, although we at times feel abandoned, never have to experience the fullness of being abandoned by God. Have you ever had a little child uh, maybe it's a kid in a class that you teach. Maybe you work at a preschool. Maybe you've had your own children or grandchildren, nieces or nephews, younger siblings. Sometimes those kids will write their own songs. You might ever have a kid just start singing their own song that they've written. Okay, nobody except me, apparently. All right. Uh, or we just don't want to raise hands today. All right. It's been a pretty common experience I've seen when I, in my days in children's ministry. Sometimes kids just get on a spiritual theme and they'll just start writing They'll, they'll just start singing out. They'll belt out their own music. And, and maybe you still do this. I still do this as an adult sometimes in the showers. I make up my own songs, and it's kind of a fun experience for me, maybe not for everybody else. But I remember hearing the story of someone who worked with children, and they shared about how a kid had been hearing in children's worship. We have a kid's worship room down the hall, for example. And the kids in this children's worship they were a part of had been hearing the word forsaken quite a bit. And so uh, the, the child latched onto that and thought, well, this is an important spiritual word. And so they did what some children do, apparently not your children, but only me and, and my own children. But they began writing their own song about being forsaken. And so this is the song they wrote. Forsaken, always forsaken. Forsaken always and always forsaken. We are the forsaken people of God today. As the parents heard the song from their kid's lips, it became obvious that their kid did not know what the word forsaken really meant. Just to substitute the word abandoned, uh, abandoned, always abandoned. Always abandoned and abandoned always. We are the abandoned people of God today. It's a song of cheer, a song of hope, right? But I wonder even as we chuckle at that, if those of us who have lived and journeyed long enough don't sometimes think that those are words that are true. How many of us through our own human experience, through the own suffering that we've had, the griefs that we bear, the tragedies we've endured, the heartache and the heartbreak and the things that we've seen, 
sometimes don't think to ourselves forsaken, forsaken always. Always forsaken, forsaken always. We are the forsaken people of God today. Perhaps you've never had that experience, but in my life experience, I've seen that most followers of Jesus come to a place where there are moments where they feel that their prayers have hit a glass ceiling and they feel like the things that they have hoped for and they have longed for won't be. And they wonder, where is God in the midst of that? I think that many of us can identify and say that there are times when we feel, we feel, the key word is feel, we feel abandoned and forsaken by God, crushed dreams, life-altering events, and we wonder, where is God? And what I want you to know in this moment is that because of what Jesus did, number one, is that you will never be forsaken. As you trust in him, he is with you, even if your experiences say, where are you? Again, this idea of seen and unseen. In my front flower bed right now, uh, there's a, a rose bush. Um, there are some hostas, some lilies, and they've not quite poked through yet. But what's amazing is that for much of the winter, that rose bush sat brown. It looked completely and utterly dead. Uh, the, the hostas had no life. And then what happened is the soil began to warm and winter gave way to spring. That rose bush now has green reaching up through what was once brown. And that ground, that, that bed full of mulch that once showed no life suddenly has uh, the living hostas bursting through. And there are times in each of our lives when it looks like things are barren, that there is no life. But the beauty of what God has done in Jesus is that there's always something germinating beneath the surface. And it may take a really long time, but eventually that life bursts through. And it's a picture of us reminded that we are not abandoned by the God who made us, although it may feel that way. I mean, maybe, maybe to help you out a little bit, um, this experience is shared by some of the great men and women of faith uh, throughout history. Maybe you've heard the name Charles Spurgeon before, uh, a great preacher uh, in England. Uh, volumes of his sermons have been preserved, such a dynamic uh, preacher and communicator. And yet he wrestled with incredible depression and would speak about how he wondered if God had not left him at times. Maybe you've heard of C.S. Lewis, famous for the Chronicles of Narnia series and Mere Christianity, and in a book he wrote called A Grief Observed, he, he walks about his experience, he talks about his experience, writes about his experience of, of when his wife was dying and the feelings of anguish and almost being abandoned, but yet he kept coming back to the Father. Or maybe you've heard and read about Mother Teresa and her experience in the closing years of her life as she cared for People who were afflicted by disease and orphans and widows. And she would write in her journals wondering if God was even there to hear and yet she would keep coming back to him recognizing that he was there. And that brings me back to Psalm 23. I mean, Psalm 22. Because in Psalm 22, we have these words of anguish by David and 
the words Jesus repeats from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet even as David turns to the one who he feels abandoned by, even in that practice, suddenly he begins to be reminded of who God is and what God's done. And even though his experiences haven't changed, it points him to the hope of the realities that are his as one who follows God faithfully and experiences the faithfulness of God. And so even as we see these words of Jesus, they invite us to see what Jesus has done for us, but also to identify with Jesus. And at times we feel that anguish. There are times in all of our lives we live long enough, while we may not use those exact words, we want to voice those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we voice those words, we may be drawn to what God has done and will do and to see that his promises are true. And even though those feelings may persist, the truth and the reality of who God is overwhelms those feelings eventually. There was a leadership journal. Uh, it's a magazine that I subscribed to years ago. And I think it was 2011, 2012, they had a whole uh, magazine devoted to uh, these experiences of anguish and, and feeling abandoned. And uh, in that, uh, they, they wrote, they gave these six things that we can do as disciples of Jesus to help us when we feel these feelings of anguish, maybe similar uh, to what Jesus felt on the cross. The first thing they encouraged was that you would share those experiences with other people. Now, it's important if you're going to share with other people, you find someone you trust. But there's something to be found. There's some mutual encouragement found when we find a person who we know also loves Jesus, uh, who cares deeply for us, and we can share with them honestly about what we're experiencing. They're able to come around us and maybe even share from their own experiences, and, and together we're encouraged. They, they suggested finding a spiritual counselor. Find someone who you can go to who can, can help guide you through what we might call a dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross would say. Find a mentor, find a Christian counselor, uh, find a pastor, a life group leader, someone you respect who, who you look at as being maybe more mature than you are in the faith to help you and come around you and to coach you and to lead you through that experience. They suggest turning to scripture, which should be somewhat obvious to disciples of Jesus, that God's word is full of rich encouragement. And I'll tell you, if you're going through one of these dark experiences, there'll be times as you read the word where, where you're like, I don't even know what you're saying, God. But what I will tell you is that as you are faithful to continue to read, it's amazing how his spirit grabs your attention and helps you see certain words and, and lay hold of them. And I encourage you when you find those just to lean into them and linger there. Uh, there was an experience, a time in my life, I guess it wouldn't be an experience, a season in my life where I was experiencing just a lot of questions and wondering what God was up to, uh, maybe where he went. And I was reading through the book of Nehemiah. And if you know Nehemiah's story, we're actually going to be preaching through Ezra and Nehemiah after Easter. Um, he experienced a lot of ridicule um, from people, people that didn't want him to fulfill what God was calling him to. And there's this part in Nehemiah chapter six, and this is what I was reading during this difficult season where he's being falsely accused. In fact, letters are being written to like the, the king of, of Persia uh, to, to, to call Nehemiah to account. And they're all false falsities. They're all, they're all lies. And there's this simple prayer in Nehemiah chapter six, verse nine, where it says that Nehemiah prayed. It says, then I prayed, strengthen my hands. As I'm going through this difficult season, I see that brief prayer, strengthen my hands, and I think, God, this is where I have to stay. 
And so I just started praying that prayer and I asked friends to pray that prayer for me. And that time where I felt not abandoned, but isolated and alone, God used those words to help me. And if we turn to his word, he'll do the same for us each time. It may take time in his word to come to those words, but he will help you. Another suggestion in the Leadership Journal article was to pray, to intentionally pray. One of the things I love about the Psalms, including Psalm 22, is that they're just these honest, vulnerable prayers of people. And some of us grew up in church traditions where we felt like our words needed to be fancy or eloquent to God, and you had to use a specific formula. But the beauty of the Psalms is they show us that we can just be raw, and we can be real with God, and Acknowledge who he is and our plight, and God is faithful to intervene. Another suggestion was to read. Not just read scripture, but but turn to other resources by people that are faithful uh, and following Jesus and, and, and learn from their experiences. And I've noticed in times of my life that that's been helpful as well. I remember going through a particularly dark season of my life and and landing in the life of Moses in scripture. I know that's still scripture, but it was more the life of Moses that spoke to me. Um, years later, uh, I found on the shelf in our home, we have a series called Christian Heroes Then and Now, and there are stories of missionaries. And I picked up this book about Adoniram Judson, one of the first missionaries to Burma. And I read about his life. And I, I read about how he lost his first wife. And he and that wife experienced the loss of children. And he remarried and experienced more loss. He was imprisoned, and yet he remained faithful. And as I see other people that have endured and experienced difficulties, that inspires me, and I believe it can inspire you. It's the reason why I love, we have this free subscription at home to the Voice of the Martyrs. And so every month, a a, a new magazine comes, and um, in our house, Maybe this is TMI. It sits behind our toilets, so there's time to read. And, uh, and, and I, I read these stories of, of people who have remained faithful uh, around the world. And it helps me when I wonder if I can remain faithful. I read stories like I read this week. Um, two of the mission partners we have at Lebanon Christian Church, FAME, which does medical evangelism around the world, and Haitian Christian Outreach, we call HCO, their worlds collided this week as they have many times because much of the medical equipment that HCO has at their hospital in Peridot has been given to them as FAME has collected donations and they've sent them to Haiti. You probably are aware Haiti is going through one of its more difficult periods in history right now violence, kidnapping, fuel shortages, and the like. And so the hospital in Parado that our church has been a big partner in helping build to minister to people there uh, has been having a hard time getting supplies. Well, in the last several weeks, a gentleman had suffered a, a significant machete wound and came to the hospital in Parado. Arriving at the hospital, um, he learned that they didn't have the supplies to, to help him. Uh, The man needed fluids and antibiotics, and the hospital just didn't have them. So the director of HCO, uh, Roro, uh, who has been here before to speak with us, uh, gets to the hospital and begins to pray with the staff over this man. As he's praying, uh, he hears commotion outside, and the security guards are uh, denying someone in a truck entrance Uh, Because of the violence, they have to keep the hospital very safe. And this truck had come looking for safe lodging for the night. They wanted to be brought into the compound, the gated compound. 
So Roro breaks with the prayer and he goes out to the security guards and asks what's the commotion and they said, well, this guy wants to, to, to rest here for the night before he makes the rest of the travel up to the northern part of Haiti. And so Roro just asked the guy, what are you, what are you carrying? He said, well, I'm transporting medical supplies for a government hospital. And, and Roro said, well, if we let you stay here for the night, do you mind if I call the hospital to see what's on the truck? And he said, no. So they let the guy in and he calls the hospital and the, the truck has on it the exact fluids and antibiotics that this man suffering from the machete wound needed. And they got permission from that hospital to use those medicines to treat this man and his life was saved. And I think about that experience in the hospital. Here's a man who walks in. He believes that he's dying. He probably wonders, God, where are you in all this? There's a hospital staff who wants to help and they don't have the means. They wonder, God, where are you on this? All seems barren, all seems dark. And then the light breaks through. And that's what I love about this picture of what Jesus does on the cross. It is dark. He is dying for our sins, but there is still light lurking in the shadows. And the same is true for you and for me. Just one final story. How many live out in the country, <clears throat> not in the city, all right? For those of us city dwellers, um, we may notice that it's difficult to see the stars at night. You can see some of them. Uh, but there's a lot of light pollution that keeps us from seeing the stars. And if you go out to the country, the further out you get from cities, something that you experience is that it feels like the stars just shine more brightly in the country. Well, the truth is, the light doesn't shine any brighter, but the darkness helps us more greatly appreciate the light. When you and I experience those difficult times when we anguish, and we wonder, God, where are you? If we will keep looking for the light, we will find that it feels like it shines so much brighter in the midst of those circumstances. May we continue to learn from the words of Jesus from the cross. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus' example. I thank you for his raw honesty and transparency. God, we thank you, although the word thank you doesn't seem to be enough for how deep your love is for us. That you would allow your son to bear the weight of our sin so that as we believe and trust in you, we don't have to. And God, we thank you for the promise that even though we feel at times forsaken or abandoned, that, that the truth is, is that we are never alone. God, meet us here for those in this season that feel abandoned, for those in this season who feel like they are alone, would you meet them and remind them that you have not forgotten them? That sorrow may come and grief may come, but as they hold on to you, light and hope is born. God, draw men and women, young and old, to you to find the hope that you provide. It's in your name we pray and trust, in the name of Jesus, amen.